to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. Good afternoon, folks. Welcome back once again to another edition of the Torah Teachers Roundtable. As a matter of fact, the Tanakh edition of that one. And uh, the point here is that we uh, try to talk about some of the other books in Scripture that don't get as much coverage because they're not part, at least not, not normally, of the regular Torah cycle or Haftorah cycle. And uh, of late, as most of you probably know, we have been uh, going through some of the prophets, uh, uh, even the uh, the major prophets. I'm not sure if I'm wild about that terminology, but certainly we know what it means. And uh, in any case, it has been the book of Isaiah. We finished up chapter 11 next uh, last week, so we're ready to talk about chapter 12. It's a real short one this week. And then some things after that that I uh, hope will be uh, really interesting to the audience, and uh, certainly they're interesting to talk about. In any case, let me say good afternoon first to uh, Mark Patron, and then uh, we'll welcome him back again. I, I hope he'll decide he wants to be a regular with us anyway. We're certainly appreciative of the time that he has here with us. And that's Ray Harrison as well. So uh, first, Mark, uh, good afternoon. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Mark? And how are you, Ray? Um, looking forward to this. Yeah, uh, me too. Howdy, Ray. Go I ahead. I got actually quite a bit on. Yeah, quite a bit of stuff to share on verse on chapter twelve. So don't don't think we're going to get through this in three minutes. <laughs> Welcome everybody. Mark is oh, Mark Patron, MP, has always got lots of good things to say. So we'll we'll give him the time that he needs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like right, I guess we you. better get to it then. Um, <laughs> let me read the first couple of verses, then I'll go to Mark first. Um, a, a hymn of praise is how the uh, the study Bible I'm looking at titles this one. And as I read it, I can't help but think. And I asked Ray about this beforehand. Uh, we're familiar with it. These are these are words lots of us have sung before. And in that day, you will say it begins. Oh. Got an echo, I guess. Oh, Yahuwah, I will praise you, though you were angry with me. Your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, Elohim is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for you, Yahuwah, are my strength and my song. He also has become Yeshua T, my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And let's pause there, and we'll go right to Mark. All right. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna comment on verses one and two and then let you guys have, a, have it back. Uh, I'm opening this chapter with a Zamra's quote from verses one and two on chapter 12. And uh, then I'll comment after. Here's what they say. They say, and you shall say on that day, I will give thanks to Hashem, although you were angry with me. In the Hebrew text, there is no section break between the end of the previous chapter and the beginning of this chapter. They are one continuous prophecy. Here the prophet foretells the new consciousness that will dwell in the people of Israel with the coming of the Mashiach. Retroactively, they will understand the purpose of their checkered history of exile and persecution, which was to refine them and bring them to repent. 
they will come to a new level of trust in Elohim and his saving power, in verse 2. And you shall draw waters with joy from the wellsprings of salvation. You will receive a new teaching, for he will expand their hearts through the salvation that will come to them and all the secrets of the Torah that were forgotten during the exile because of the troubles that will be revealed to them. That according, all according to Rashi. Um, this is still Yeshayahu speaking as though there were no chapter break. Yeshayahu is in uh, thanksgiving mode before Yah due to the wonderful prophecy that Yeshayahu is absolutely certain will be the nation Israel's in the next, uh, or rather in the end of days. Uh, chapters 11 and 12 are for whole Yisrael, uh, native and proselyte, not just the remnant. It might even include uh, MC and Ray. <laughs> it might even include me, who knows. In in 12.1, we are grateful for Yah's love for us and his willingness to turn away from our transgressions if we will turn away from our sins. When he sees our repentance, he forgives us and forgets those sins which we have confessed and agreed with him about by turning away. He not only forgives and forgets them, which only he can do, when Yah forgives a sin, it becomes as if it had never occurred. And so it immediately leaves his memory. Okay? The opening words of verse 2 are, Hine el Yeshuati. And in the next breath, Yeshayahu says, Yah Yehovah is my strength. My strength is a shortened form of the Hebrew Azaz, uh, H5810, uh, which is not a place where Dorothy visited twice, okay, Azaz, okay, uh, to, to ponder, to absorb, and weigh impressions. We do not readily lose these types of impressions. Elohim is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. Yah Yehovah is my strength, whom I praise, and who is my song. Verses 12-2 is an incredible statement of Yeshayahu's wonder at Yah's loving kindness to him and to usward. For Izzy knows he doesn't really deserve Yah's loving kindness any more than I or MC or Ray do. And he marvels at Yah's love for him, as we all do his love for anyone or all of us. Okay? I absolutely marvel that the creator of the universe has me in his mind all the time. And that goes the same for MC and for Ray. And <laughs> I, I, I just, I'm dumbfounded, see? Can't even say anything. That's what I got for verses 1 and 2. Too. Okay. Ray, you, you want to comment on any of that? Uh, I can just add a few few thoughts. Uh, that, that was uh, great stuff there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, MP, the, the uh, these uh, six verses in chapter twelve are an absolute follow-on, or uh, I guess what I'd call in a literary sense, an epilogue to what yep. has happened in the uh, in the previous uh, chapter, and and they, they just serve as this. Uh, uh, Amazing way of tying up what was before it. Uh, MP, I really, really, uh, appreciate you saying and, and like this notion, the reminder of this notion. 
when God forgives something, he forgets it. Um, it's, it's, we it's we as human beings have he an He forgets awful, it, it's gone. Yes. We as human beings, or at least I'll speak for myself. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's... It's easy if somebody comes up and says, gosh, will you forgive me for this or that or the other thing? It's easy to say, yeah, sure. But it's not like it ever, you know, maybe gets put out of your mind or something like that. And, and, and yet we, we, we tend to judge our, our, uh, we judge ourselves by our own standards sometimes and not by God's standards. And right. if, if you have truly repented and, uh, and, uh, are truly repentant and he forgives you, it's forgotten. You can, you can, uh, you can move right. on. The other thing that I, I kind of see this, happened. yeah, that's yeah, amazing. And and to me, that's a real hard one for me to grab onto. I, I have a real difficulty letting go of that. I always think, yeah, but I was a real schmuck. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't count. Yeah, but I was a real schmuck. I mean, I, that that's just me. I guess that was my my upbringing. But the other thing that this uh, reminds me of a great deal is after we go through the incredible tumult of. Uh, of the crossing of the Red Sea at night in the dark with Moses and the and Pharaoh and the chariots following and the lightning and the wind and the just I can't even begin to imagine what that was like to actually physically go through. Then the same thing happens in Exodus. We go from chapter uh, uh, 14 to chapter 15 and we begin in 15. If I'm getting this right, I think it says then Moses and the people of Israel saying. Uh, this song uh, to Yehovah in the morning, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Um, it's the same kind of notion of this tremendous event has just happened. And, and the epilogue to the whole thing is this incredible outpouring of, of thanksgiving and, and praise and song and all that. And it reminds me very, very, very strongly of, of that uh of that same sort of sentiment and, and, and all the, the, the verses that follow here in 12 are just a, a real outpouring of all of that, uh, to wrap up this whole first, well, first really 10, 11 chapters, uh, of, uh, what's going on. That's my point. Okay. That's, that sounds, uh, that sounds fairly complete, I guess I would say. Um, anything else guys? Should we read on? Um, Three and four. I'm, I'm taking these two. two oh, okay. Time. Well, there ain't much more of the chapter than that, so we'll get there here pretty right, quick. Right. I'm figuring um, we'll get through this this segment, and then we'll get into the rest. Therefore, therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and in that day, so and in that day you will say, "Praise Yahuwah, call upon His yes. name, declare His deeds among the peoples, make mention." that his name is exalted. Sing to Yahuwah, for he has done excellent things. This is known to in all of the earth. Uh, cry out and about, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. And uh, I'll, I'll note again, and then we'll go, uh, we'll go to Ray this time first, that um, uh, whenever I see these things where it says, um, in that day you will say, praise Yahuwah, call upon his name, that I at least believe it's important to read it right. It always bugs me that it says, uh, you know, praise the Lord, which isn't his name, it's a title maybe, call upon his name, which we're not going to tell you. Yes. So it's important that we get uh, we get the understanding correctly, because if we're getting closer to that day, it's important more than ever that we know what it is that we're actually going to do and say when we get there. Anyway, go ahead, Ray. 
I, there's not a whole lot for me to add to that. I, I agree with you uh, 100%. Uh, you know, uh, back in the third chapter of Exodus, Moses very pointedly uh, asked the divine presence at, at the burning bush, well, who do I say sent me? Who do I say is 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 I'm supposed to say is is calling them to do these things? I I don't have a name for this, but he tells us exactly what his name is. Yep, it's Yahuwah, Yehovah, Yahweh, whatever, however you want to say it. Uh, I guess, and we can argue the finite points of uh, pronunciation and those sorts of things. Um, no uh, reason to. Yeah, yeah. The, the Lord, the Lord will, will get it, uh, will tutor us in the right way when when we get there. Exactly. But but realizing that 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 that's the name, even if we butcher its pronunciation, that 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 is the name, and yeah. and that is that is how he wishes to be addressed much of the time, and it's plain in Scripture when he wants to be addressed that way. MC. Yeah, and, and he again he doesn't hide um, it from us. Yeah, That's the key. That in, the the name is in there, sorry, and it's been that. hidden from us by the translators and by the various uh, so-called sages and those that have decided that uh, you just you shouldn't be trusted with it. Uh, were you doubling the RMP? I had a breakup on this end. Um, no, I. I, I being with you. Um, because I know better than not to. Anyway, <laughs> notice that in verse 3, Yeshiyahu changes to second person objects. Okay? <laughs> he's, he's, it's yes. been first person all along now. Yah is my strength, my salvation. To second person, with joy ye shall draw. Ye shall, yeah. Yeah, so who exactly is the beneficiary of Yah's mercy and loving kindness but us? You and me. Amen. The word joy is from the Hebrew uh, 8342, sus, which, you know, uh, to rejoice outwardly or to internalize the expression of joy. In other words, whether you express your joy from Yah outwardly or inwardly, Yah sees your joy and takes joy in it. How could we not be joyful? while drawing Yah's joy to drink down into our souls. I mean, seriously. When we've been filled with Yah's joy, Sason, in verse 4, we will sing songs and make his name exalted. In that day, when the wells of living water are flowing about out of us, we will not be able to contain it. It's alive unto itself, is how I read this. Verse 4 has four different ways that we will exalt Yah. We will yada him. H3034. Yada means I know, I know, I see. Okay, like he can't possibly not know, right? This knowledge is ever before his eyes. Uh, Izzy sees it every time, every minute of every day and every second of every minute. Okay, is Israel. Is this case, or rather in this case, we are encouraging the people within earshot to yada him, to know him. He will call, that is, kara, and counter or address his name. His name, we will yada. Different ending from yada. We had yud dalet he, this is yud dalet ayin. 
and it means to know or to observe. This is quite a bit deeper knowledge than just seeing. In this case, yada or yada, either one of them, means I declare that I know him. Okay? Yeshiyahu doesn't care who knows it, because Yah has empowered him to do as he commands. He has no fear of what a man can do to him, because he knows his end is assured. The only thing that Yeshiyahu's physical death can bring is himself closer to Yah. And by the way, folks, if you are Yah's, the same applies to you. How does it feel? Uh, how does it feel to know that the worst thing that can happen to you in this life is that you get to immediately see Yah as He truly is? Okay. Having that thought in mind, let's look at verse five, where MC and Ray get to take some uh, pot shots at me. <laughs> go, go ahead, Mark. Uh, okay. I don't know All if right, I feel like taking through. pot shots today or not. Uh, the only comment that I have that I would add on this one is it's kind of interesting that um, the um, the word joy there, which Mark emphasized, and uh, as he was going through it, I, I didn't have the, the Hebrew sitting here in front of me. Uh, that is a different root than the one that most of us are familiar with that we use most of the time. If you think about Sukkot, things like Simkatora and uh, um, Hag Sameach, where the root word is um, uh, Samach, and, and it's a different root word. And it turns out that this version of joy is uh, first used in the book of Esther, but it actually doesn't show up anywhere else in the Torah. So I thought that was kind of a, kind of a, a twist that I hadn't thought about. Wow. Uh, don't know if you cool. had if you had any other any comment that on that, Mark, one, or not? But but um, yeah, it struck me. Wow, very cool, very cool. All right, well then, let me uh, let me move on through uh, verse six and uh, let Ray have it, and we'll. Uh, we'll yeah, move if on Ray from has there. something he wants hey, to add, good. he's welcome to for sure. Okay, you got anything you want to add to verses uh, one to four, at Ray? No, go on. I'll, I'll make final comments after you're done. Okay, good deal. Okay, so verses 5 and 6. Let me repeat. How does it feel to know that the worst thing that can happen to you in this life is that you get to immediately see Yah as he truly is? Having that thought in mind, let's look at verses 5 and 6. The very first thing that Izzy says in verse 5, that's that's uh, Isaiah, okay, Izzy, um, under the influence of Yah's Ruach HaKodesh, by the way, is sing. The very first word in the KJV is sing unto Yah. The very first thing that Izzy says is sing. I have a half-decent singing voice. I can carry a tune and I love to sing. It's a leftover of evenings at home after my father's bath time. He was an auto mechanic for a, a bazillion years. And what, what, all his life, except for World War II, when he was a forward observer, <laughs> most dangerous job you can have in the Army. Anyway, <laughs> he'd relax with a ukulele. Okay, he would sit down and he just he just let the let the tension all pour off of his body after he got a bath and he started playing the uke. And my mother would come into the into the thing and they would harmonize. It was wonderful. Anyway, both Ma and Pa carried a tune vocally harmonized very nicely too now my youngest son can sing harmonized notes two harmonized notes at once 
that really amazes me that he's able to he's able to make two two noises in his throat and have them actually merge well. Anyway, sing yeah, that in is. verse five is the Hebrew twenty one sixty seven from the Hebrew twenty one sixty eight zamar Zion mem resh both words identically vowel pointed which is kind of weird. There are in my etymological dictionary of biblical Hebrew I have. Two words spelled exactly the same, but they got different vowel points. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Uh, striking the string with a tool is the one of them. Like a ukulele, string with a pick. Okay. You guys were all wondering why I shared the story above, weren't you? That's why. Believe it or not, that just came to me as I wrote, but I had, and I had no idea that it would fit so well. We are told to sing to him because he has done such amazing things most of them too wonderful for us to imagine how it fits until we actually see it fit. Boggles my mind and always has, even before the tree that I got whacked in the head with. You've heard the saying, and I'm sure, the music of the spheres. That <laughs> means to me, anyway, that everything in creation harmonizes, even when it looks jumbled from our personal point of view. The reason for that is that Yah is in charge, not any puny human. We have a hard time hearing or seeing the harmony, but it is there. It is always there. If it weren't, the whole universe would just go bang. Bye-bye. Verse 6 tells us why we have nothing to fear from Hasatan and his minions. Cry out is from the Hebrew 6670, Tzahal which means to gleam, to brighten, or to sound clear, while shout is from the Hebrew 7442, ranan, which means to express emotion. Both of those words mean that the actor, the inhabitant of Zion in this case, is drawing attention to himself for a purpose. The purpose is to direct the people's attention to the Holy One of Israel in the midst of the earth. It seems obvious to me that Yah wants us to draw attention to his wondrous works and ways so that he can then bestow more of the same on us, so that we can direct more attention to his wondrous ways and that the cycle can continue, which we'll see, which uh, see you in chapter 13, I guess. <laughs> I wrote seven. I don't know why. Anyway, that's what I got for the end to the end of this chapter. And we got about a, two minutes left. Okay, about okay. two minutes. I'll I'll try to, to two two thoughts then uh, for uh, for verse uh, verse number five. Uh, I, I would uh, I would point out a, a cross reference that that I'll read real quickly. This is out of Revelation fifteen three. It says, "And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, the son of the Lamb, singing, Great and amazing are your deeds.'" O Yehovah Elohim uh, El Shaddai, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. And again, it's the king who is entitled to be seated upon the throne. Uh, then in, in six, I want to go to, uh, let me see, where did I put it? To uh, one we don't hit very often, Zephaniah. I want to go to three, uh, 14 through 17 where it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, 
Rejoice and exult. That one was quoted in the Messiah, by the way. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Yehovah has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, says Yehovah, is in your midst. You shall never again fear. On that day, it shall be said in Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let your hands, uh, 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 let not your hands grow weak. Yehovah, your Elohim is in your midst. The mighty one will say, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. second segment of the Torah Teachers Roundtable for today. I think we have finished Chapter 12, and I'm trying to read the notes that MP put up on the screen, and honestly, I don't have a clue what that means, so I'll just ask him, are you ready, Mark, or not? Yeah, I have finished Chapter 12, and we can move on to Chapter 13, unless Ray has something more. Okay. I I, I finished, uh, I had those uh, two uh, uh, cross quotes to kind of just show that... uh, that this this song uh, it's in the past it's it's here uh, in Isaiah it'll be there in the future as well. Absolutely, you know. Well, so, and, yeah. No, and I'm, interestingly, I'm we we're can, talking about we some things that are obviously prophetic and in the future. And uh, chapter thirteen looks like it's going to go in a uh, radically different direction, time wise, perhaps, or at least in terms of the theme. So let me begin with this one, where it says, um, The burden against Babylon, which Isaiah, Yeshayahu, the son of Amos, saw. And uh, then we get the quote here, Lift up a banner on the high mountain. Raise your voice to them. Wave your hand that they may enter the gates of the nobles. I've commanded my sanctified ones, my set-apart ones. I've also called my mighty ones for my anger, those who rejoice in my exultation. Um, uh, maybe that's good enough. Let's pause at that point. And, uh, Mark, I'll go to you see if you have anything you want to want to go through there or you want to wait. Uh, no, I can go through. Uh, I'm actually going to go through verse 5 on the first, uh, first go-around here. Have you read that far? I read through verse uh, 3. That's why I asked. Okay. Ray, do you want to well, comment on that then? We'll, we'll wait. I, I guess I, I would just make an introductory comment, and then maybe as we read a little further, then uh, uh, MP can 
can comment a little further that uh, that on this, especially so verse verse one is this is this is a, a pronouncement. This is a burden, uh, an oracle. Sometimes it's uh, translated. Uh, in other words, this <laughs> this is something that he has seen in vision or in dream or something, and and he's going to share it. But it's not an easy thing to share. It's a burden for him to share, but something that he is duty bound as uh, Yahuwah's uh, ambassador to 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 pass along. And that this also, this whole, it will end up being this, this whole section on, uh, on the day of the Lord in Babylon and, and so on. That this is, serves as a, um, uh, a witness. Uh, I can't find the right word for it. Uh, oh, and help me in legal contracts when you're, you're, notice, uh, official you're notice. given a warning. What do they call that? Notice. Notice. Pardon me? I'll type it out. Notice. A notice. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect. That this is basically this notion of Babylon and the day of the Lord and all this. This is a huge, huge theme that will uh, that will be presenting itself in in historical times. It will be in future times. And in fact, this is how we end up wrapping up the ages. And so he's saying, I've got this vision of this whole thing, and it's a burden for me to see this, and I've got to share this with you. So as he begins to to detail out what this is all about, we we get a, a notion. Uh, he does that as notice. So then when it happens in the near term, and we will see that it did happen to Babylon uh, in historical times, the people can look at this and go, oh, wow, Yeshiahu was right. Look at this. Which then gives us further uh, 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 trust to know that well, if he got it right that time, then the one that's coming at the end of times is also true. That's so right. it's this big, uh, uh, it's a, a, a great big uh, uh, warning for the ages, I guess. Okay, and that's a fair statement because Good. we're going to get more of it here coming up in the next few verses. Mark, you All ready? Right. You want to read on? I'm ready to jump on verses 1 to 5. Okay, so um, verse 4 says, The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like that of many people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. Yahuwah Zebuot, English uh, sometimes says the Lord of hosts, musters the array for battle. They come from a far country, from the end of Hashemayim, the heavens, Yahuwah and his weapons of indignation. To destroy the whole land. That sounds pretty serious. Go ahead, Mark. Yes, it is. Okay, Zamra's opening paragraphs are instructive here. They say, following Isaiah's prophecy about the fall of Assyria in chapter 10, his prophecy against Babylon in this and the following chapter begins a, chap uh, a cycle of prophecies against the various peoples that surrounded and oppressed Israel, including Egypt, the Philistines, Moab, Tyre, the cycle begins with the ret retribution against Babylon because of the great power and prestige of Nebuchadnezzar's empire at its height and the fact that he destroyed the first temple. The prophecy against Babylon opens with Elohim's call to the warriors of Media and Persia 
to gather for war against Babylon, in verses 1 through 5. It was Darius of Media, together with his son-in-law, Koresh of Persia, who eventually captured Babylon and killed King Belshazzar exactly 70 years after Nebuchadnezzar's rise to power. The fall of Babylon, as prophesied in our present chapter, came over 190 years after the death of King Ahaz of Judah, which is given as the date of the prophecy in the next chapter in Isaiah 14.28, indicating that the prophecy in our present chapter wasn't spoken before that. In Isaiah's time, Babylon had not even attained global stature. Yet the prophet already saw that she would knock out Assyria, which came about when Nebuchadnezzar captured uh, Nineveh, and finally, 190 years later, be knocked out herself. Okay, now, that's Azamra on verses 1 to 5, and here's me. Verse 1 tells us that Yeshayahu ben Amoz was inspired by a vision of sorts about Babylon, the nation that had recently defeated Israel. The word translated burden is H4853, masa, mem, samek, hey. From the Hebrew 5375, nasa, with a nun instead of a mem. To lift in a great variety of applications, literally and figuratively, absolutely and relatively. Okay, so every different way you can think of it, this is a burden. Okay, so beginning in verse 2. Yeshayahu speaks. He lifts up a banner on a high mountain. I think that the high mountain has to be the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, in Jerusalem. There is spiritually no higher place on earth. Even Everest's summit looks up spiritually, if not physically, to Yah's Temple Mount. If I am correct about that, which I am, uh, then the, (laughs) the next imperative Exalt the voice must be toward Yah as well. In verse 3, it says, I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for mine anger, them that rejoice in my highness. Yah's sanctified and mighty ones have been called up to work his works against his enemies. I seriously think that he will use inferior numbers against the vast hordes that will come against them. That follow, what follows, rather, will probably tell us how he would make that happen through them. In verse 4, Yah will cause Yehuda's enemies to hear the approach and uh, making ready for battle of a, uh, against a huge army. See the description. Like as of a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. Yatsevaot musters the host of the battle. I have news for you all, but there was no one there taking, making all that racket. Not one human making any noise. Look at how verse 5 is worded. It says, They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, Yah, and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. No people are doing this. This is Yah coming to take care of these people. Okay, it is obvious to me that Yah is influencing the minds of every individual on the battlefield where no battle of one nation or group of nations 
against another nation or group of nations is going to take place. This battle is between Yah and Assyria, and no, not one drop of blood will be shed in battle. Whoops, stop, Mark. By the end of the day. Try that by again. His brothers, Assyrians, hand. I can almost hear the Israeli officers giving the order in his best impression of Mark Moranis, or Rick Moranis. Smoke them if you got them. Okay? This guy's a, a, a comedian. Anyway, at least that's how I would have done it had I been Yah. I'd have been saying, would you guys just sit back, watch what happens. <laughs> He's taking care of this, not, not the, uh, the army of Israel. Anyway, that's what I got through verse 5. Okay. Uh, we, we missed a little bit there, Mark, but I, I guess I got most of it. Uh, Ray, did you have any questions or comments and, uh, you want to take on there? Uh, th- that's, that's a really great uh, commentary, MP. I'm, I, I'm with you on that uh, uh, 100%. Sorry, you all, if you caught my dog barking in there. Oh, that. okay. He's, I thought that was a, a sentry. No problem. I love dogs. <laughs> Well, he when somebody comes down the drive, he takes it seriously. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I forgot he was in the room with me. The uh, I, I think you're right. I think this notion of the uh, again, I, I would I would uh, ask each of us to kind of just uh, put ourselves in our mind's eye for a minute in in what warfare was like in those days in terms of the. The siege work and the numbers, the sheer numbers of people, yeah. and and the 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 clamor and the the screaming and yelling and all of that, uh, the the sound must have been utterly terrifying. Now, certainly, modern warfare is as noisy and and as scary, but uh, uh, I, I I am agreeing with you there that that it's it's a, if people here in their own minds. Before the enemy is even close enough to make any noise, they're already feeling the uh, the sound waves, the repercussions of this coming, and it and it, it terrifies to to the absolute uh, to the marrow of the bones. You know, it's it's one of those things. So that that that's a I I like how you've uh, uh, how you tag that. I think I think that's probably exactly right. Wow. I didn't think I was exactly right. <laughs> well, I thought you said you were. <laughs> yeah, he usually does. You'd be forgiven yeah. for thinking that he didn't say it <laughs> or, or not thinking that he did. Uh, you know, I, no, I guess I, there's I, one I, thing I, I feel like adding here just just as kind of an aside, because when please, I read this and I, and I like the discussion, there is this there's an element of this. We usually tend to look at these things and say, OK, you know, if we're going to talk about end times, uh, maybe this uh, reference to uh, to some kind of a um, uh, an animal or a, uh, you know, an insect or uh, or a scorpions or something. Maybe this represents battle tanks or it's M1 Abrams or it's uh, attack helicopters. In other words, we want to try to make something that uh, we, we look in here that seems metaphoric, uh, a reference to some weaponry we're familiar with. Maybe we're not familiar with it yet. But I guess the thing that kind of struck me as you guys were talking about it is there's a level of a supernatural take on this, that these are armies and these are things that are scary 
that, yeah, maybe if you uh, uh, lived during the times when uh, siege warfare was common and uh, there were literally masses of men marching, you might have heard some of the sounds. But it sounds like there's something beyond that, at least to me, when I look at this. Oh, yeah. By the way, siege warfare is still going on. I mean, you, you got that going on between Russia and Ukraine. Well, and between Washington okay. and the rest of the country today. What do you think they're doing when it comes to January sixth? And uh, you know, the, the, we're gonna we're gonna we're Absolutely. gonna highlight your your crimes, and we're gonna we're gonna siege warfare you guys right into the gulags. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, seriously, yeah, uh, it's, I, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, but the truth of the matter is, look and see It'd what they're so. doing with the fifteen minute cities. Look and see what a lot of the plans are. It is literally to uh, garrison people in places where they will not be able to leave. That was siege warfare was actually what happened, whether we admit it or not, during the COVID lockdowns. We're going to mask you guys up, lock you down, and not let you out. We'll show you who's boss. That's it. And and that was that was such a big mistake. I I'll tell you what I had a I had a a, a, a mask in my in my bag here, okay, I, I, that I carry with me everywhere, and but I never wear it. I never wear it unless somebody says, "Oh, um, we're we're asking that people wear masks in in the store today or something like that." And I reach in and I grab the thing and I put it on. Thank you very much. And I, I get out of the guy's eyesight and I take it off. <laughs> <laughs> I had COVID, okay? I had it when it first broke. It was late in, 19, in 2019, okay? And I spent two weeks in the hospital with it. But I never, ever passed it on to anybody, and none, none of my family got it, you know? The, the, the whole idea of having to wear a mask because people have got a, a virus is just silly. Well, you know, yeah, as body. an engineer, of course, I if railed against that. And talked and about that, that too. body can fight it off. Sorry, I didn't hear that, Mark. Uh, I just said, as an engineer, I certainly railed about it, too. I can honestly say I never once, uh, not once, put on a mask to go into a store or any of those kind of things, simply because it's um, it's not just counterproductive. It's um, It literally causes you to rebreathe your own exhaust gases, and it uh, recirculates things, oh, yeah. and it builds up uh, all kinds of stuff. You get um, apox- uh, hypoxia is the lack of oxygen. That's part A, and part B is uh, hypercapnia, which is over overproduction of carbon carbon dioxide, you rebreathe your carbon dioxide, as you know. Yeah. It's not the atmospheric concentration that's a problem, but when you get it up into the percentiles that happen when you keep wearing a mask for hours, uh, it becomes a serious health issue. Anyway, exactly. the point is, uh, I guess there, there's something I mean, supernatural going on here, and that seems to be where we're really headed. I, I, I'll uh, just can I, can I jump in here just for a second? Oh, let, let Ray go in. Just, we've been, we've been, for, go ahead, Ray. No, go, no, that's go a... No, no, go, go ahead, Mark, finish your point, and then I, okay, I've got a, okay. a, a couple of Listen, little uh, grenades on the mask, too, to throw in. There is on the market a thing called Unmask, okay? it's un, Go to Unmask.com, and these things, they, they cost about 15 bucks. and if somebody tells you you got to put on a mask, you put this one on, and it just lets your, your breath out. And you don't rebreathe your own exhaust, okay? The unmask, it's great. Okay, well, like I said, truth okay. is, Mark, uh, if, if they're telling me to put on a mask, I'm going to tell them go pound salt. But but that's just because I'm a I'm a hard son of a you know what at this point. All right, go ahead, Ray. I may only have one place uh, to go for the thing I need. Yeah, I, I, uh, MP, I, I'll, uh, your your experience. I didn't know this, and I'll echo this. 
interestingly, I also contracted COVID in uh, the end of October uh, 2019. So really? did so did a uh, a son-in-law of mine in Thornton earlier that month. So did my own biological son in Portland uh, uh, in uh, early 2019. This is before the official uh, disease was released. Right. And uh, and uh, both of them are young men. The Portland one is a marathon runner, and he had basically nearly had pneumonia from it and all this and that and the other thing. And uh, I I didn't know that that's what I had, but uh, uh, managed to manage to lick it uh, uh, on my own uh, and all of that. And then uh, as things broke in in uh, January, my wife and I looked at one another and we went, uh huh. So that's what was going on. You know, this, it, they they were making sure that it was released long before they made the announcement that it was out there. So it was good and established and all that. I also had a a, uh, a subterfuge mask that I kept that was made out of oh, some very very lightweight fabric that yeah. that basically that when they would they would hassle me about it, uh, uh, I would um, exactly I I put it on. And, and, and the statement of that one was, this mask is useless. Uh, it said across the front of it. But uh, I also, uh, I've got another one. I made a business card. I've got a little format for making business cards. Uh, I'll read you. When, and it got to the point, Mark, where I became more more gruff and, 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 and followed more in your footsteps. <laughs> but uh, And it's a business card. And they'd come up and they'd say, oh, you need to wear a mask in here. And I would hand them a business card that says, Where's your mask? Question mark. If masks work, then the uh, then the masked have nothing to fear from the unmasked. If vaccines work, then the vaccine uh, the vaccinated have nothing to fear from the unvaccinated. Yep. If you need me to wear a mask and take the vaccine in order for your mask and your vaccine to work, you are a special kind of stupid. Uh, yeah. I am not that stupid, and I am not and I am not in this together with you. So and I would have. And I'd hand them that, and then I'd walk on, and they would stand there and read it as I got out of line of sight. (laughs) But anyway. If you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend that you get Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci. Yes, my wife has it, yes. She she is involved or was involved in the alternative health field for years and, in fact, was a – uh, uh, was a radio uh, talk show host with KHNC when they were uh, uh, many years ago and did a, a, a healthy nature show and all that. But the first time he appeared on television, we were we were watching the news, and she said, "Oh my God!" And I said, "What?" And she goes, "That man is straight from the pit of hell. I know who that is. That's Anthony Fauci." And that was her first. She said, "If they've got him in the midst of this." There's going to be nothing but but death and destruction. Absolutely, that was her. Yeah, that was her. Her comment from the get go. That that's, that's uh, certainly that, is important and, and true. The uh, the AIDS vaccine back at the seventies, he killed millions of people all over the world with that AIDS vaccine. And You're exactly right with the, with the COVID vaccine. The and 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 the young girls in India and the, and the the uh, tribal girls in Africa. Yeah, he's. Uh, there's a special place in hell that is reserved for him, and I'll buy the first cord of wood. <laughs> Man, and I'll buy the second, and I haven't got a lot of dough. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. 
Okay, we well, here? I guess the About point here is we're, huh? we're going to see more of it, and we need to be aware of it. As long as we're uh, we're on the subject, we've only got about a minute till we get the break. I'll mention one other thing, because um, if uh, – and uh, most of the listeners here know my own story. Obviously, uh, I uh, I contracted uh, – um, something I don't I don't actually believe it was uh, the so-called uh, uh, COVID um, virus, but I do think there is such a thing as a spike protein that that causes problems. But in any case, um, yeah. it turns out that ivermectin knocks it out, and there are a number of. Um, well known at this point, they weren't very well known at that point. Cures. I remember reading and talking on the radio here on, on my new show about hydroxychloroquine. I mentioned ivermectin as well, but anyway, the book is by Dr. Pierre Corey, and it was called The War on Ivermectin. It's right up there with RFK Jr.'s book as far as pointing out how satanically evil what was done was, because you cannot push a vaccine on people with an emergency use authorization unless there is no alternative. So they had to literally destroy, suppress, make clear that there were no alternatives so that they could poison people with their Zyklon B injections. And that's the part that, as a uh, as somebody who they blankety-blank and near kill, that infuriates me. <laughs> that was a legal fiction. You're right. You got it. Okay, well, we're going to break. We'll pick it up. We'll talk some more next, next uh, segment. Sometimes I under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. All right, welcome back, folks. This is the second hour now of the Torah Teachers Roundtable. Tanakh edition, we are talking about the book of Isaiah, working our way through chapter uh, 13 at this point, and uh, just about ready to hit um, some of the stuff that I think is particularly fascinating and um, um Maybe not quite as controversial. Well, I don't guess it's controversial anymore to say that the United States was duped by the Fauci flu and the two-part bioweapons and, um, you know, the, the biggest attack in arguably all of human history to kill as many billions as they possibly could get away with, and they're not done yet. But um, certainly this, what we're getting ready to talk about, uh, is by any measure, uh, going to end up being worse because it's the creator of the universe that is doing it as opposed to just allowing the Fauci's of the world to have their way with those whom he's already warned that uh, they're going to see judgment. So um, let me ask, before we, before we go there, any, any other comments, either, uh, either Mark or Ray? Uh, no, let's get back to the scripture. Okay, right. Yeah, let, let, let's get to something pure and wholesome like the day of the Lord. Okay, uh, very good. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. So, um, let's see, uh, where did I read through about verse 5? Uh, Yahuwah and his weapons of indignation Six. to destroy the whole land. Was that you, Mark, uh, making a comment? 
Yes, now, it was. Uh, 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 I'm, I'm ready to six. go so six through eight, and then we can uh, move from there out. Later. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was fixing to do. Okay, so here we go. Um, whale for the day of the Lord. Now, that's the way it says it in English. As you know, capital L-R-D is capitalized, so I may sometimes read it as the day of the Lord because people have heard that, and the great and terrible day of the Lord is the way it's phrased in Joel. Lots and lots of references to this one in Scripture, but in fact, it is actually the day of yod heh vav the day of Yahuwah, uh, that is being referred to. Yeah, and at this point, he says it's at hand. So the question is, when is it at hand? And that's where I think we'll talk here in a minute. But he gives some description. Uh, by the way, this is one of the more detailed. There are several in the book. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. And he's not talking about LGBTQ. Every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They'll be in pain as a woman in childbirth. Certainly we know that Matthew 24, Yeshua talks about the birth pangs. And uh, there are elements of that prophecy that sound at least similar or rhyme. They'll be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. And that's interesting, too. Behold, the day of Yahuwah comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy the sinners from it. From the stars of heaven and their constellations, uh, for the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened. In its going forth, and I'll read just to the end of this uh, phrase, and then we'll pause. I'll go to you, Ray. And the moon will not cause its light to shine. So um, we'll pause there. Go, go ahead, Ray. Any any comment on all of that? And and I'll throw out the question before we begin. Uh, when is he talking about as we go through this? Or at least when do we think it might be? Because uh, no doubt about it, there's lots of speculation on that score. Well, uh, my, my particular notion with this uh, is uh, that, again, I, I believe here in chapter 13, he's laying out the prototypical day of the Lord. Many of the prophets talk about it. Uh, uh, the the uh, Yeshua himself speaks about it in, in Matthew 24. Uh, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Amos, uh, Habakkuk, they, they all speak Jeremiah, they all speak about this event, this, this, this reckoning, great reckoning that comes. So I think first off, he's describing what it is, but he's describing it in prototypical, uh, fashion. In other words, if I were to describe for you the day of the Lord, here's what it would look like. And then he lays it out. But then I think that again, I'll come back to my, my thesis anyway, that, uh, uh, yes, Yahoo, has this vision, he sees it, he publishes it to make notice to the nation of Israel and, and in fact to the entire world. This is what God has shown me. And to prove that, that I'm not just rolling my own here, you'll get to see uh, a, a fulfillment of this. And again, as MP pointed out from Azamra in the, in the uh, last segment, that this in fact does happen to historical Babylon. Yep. Uh, and, and that, and that, so at that point in time, by the time we get to Yeshua's day, Yeshua can say, see, this isn't something with Yeshua's promise that this will happen again. He shows that no, this wasn't just a historical prophecy that has now been, uh, uh, fulfilled and you don't have to worry about it anymore. This is one that will also yet be future. 
And again, uh, the the last little bit that we tend to forget about this with with Babylon anyway uh, uh, is that what 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 is the genesis of Babylon? It's Genesis chapter eleven. It's Babel, the Tower of Babel. It's what the people were doing. They yep. were so arrogant in their own uh, hubris that they were going to be like God. They were going to AI and they were going to make vaccines and they were, they're going to do all this stuff and be just like God. And he had to come down and deal with them. Those are the, the things that, 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 uh, that, that cause God to come down and have to, and have to deal with us. And, and we, 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 we see it. We're, we're in, we're in fourth gear and getting ready to shift it into overdrive right now. Yep. So that'd Absolutely. be my thought. Uh, on when is it? it? It was. It's. It's prototypical. It's. It's historical. It's future. You know, just like the Lord is. He was. He is. He will be to come. Absolutely. Okay. Well, so let me but, ask it this way, right? Is it after the pre-trib yet. rapture? Or before? Uh, the, uh, uh, the rapture as it, okay. You know, no, sorry, that was, that was the tip of the tongue in cheek, but I didn't mean nice to set you up. with me, huh? Okay. <laughs> um, I, I think that the, the, the verses that we read in Thessalonians and the, the few proof texts that, that the rapturists use for that, I think that there is, in fact, some basis for that that will occur. But but unlike them, this isn't the game of Monopoly where you get to play the get-out-of-jail-free card. I think that at the end of the tribulation, when we get to the point where it is truly the great and terrible day of the Lord, when I believe, as it says in Revelation, that heaven and earth are silent for a half an hour. Yes. At this point, when when Yeshua comes down in all the power of the cosmos and says, okay, folks, we're going to settle some scores and we're going to settle it now. And the people that are destined for destruction will be destroyed. The earth will be changed in who knows what kind of forms they're, they're all talked about, but we can only imagine and all that. And I think what happens, Mark, at this point since I'm grandstanding here, that <laughs> I, I personally believe that there is a greater exodus that will happen. And I believe that there will be people all over the world that will have been hunkering down and gathering in the camps of the righteous and doing all these things. And the 144,000 will have been leading them. And at the time that Yeshua is ready to come back and clean up the earth, at that point in time, we are lifted off. And the nastiness happens on the planet for half an hour. And where do we, where do we hear that, that all of this, where, where, where does he go next? Oh, his feet touch ground on, uh, on the, the mountains of Jerusalem. And yep. where, where are the, where's the millennial kingdom? It's in Jerusalem. Where are the saints of the tribulation? They serve him in the millennial kingdom in Jerusalem. So I think that's how we get from point A to point B. But and that's just me, right? Right. I've been I've been teaching that for ten years at least. I'm a little slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the way that that's the only way I can read it and make sense of it because there aren't idle words in Scripture and those words are there and they've got to mean something and when you string them all together, you know the other context is is that for the folks that are still hanging hanging on to the rapture and you know if I'm wrong. 
they can all, uh, they can all, uh, you know, chuckle at me, uh, because of this, but I don't see any place in scripture where there's a precedent for you get to use your jail, get out of jail free card. Yeah. I, I just don't right. see it. He, for every, even his most beloved of the prophets of Moses, of all these people who he dearly loved and they, I mean, they had such an, astonishing working relationship together. For Moses, he said, you know, doggone it, I really wish that you hadn't smacked that rock twice. But, uh, buddy, you're not going in. <laughs> you know, there's, 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 there's action and there's reaction. There's, you know, uh, and, and he, he, he didn't give Moses a get out of jail card free. And Moses certainly deserved one more than a lot of other folks I can think of. So I just don't think it works that way with, with the creator of the universe. Exactly. But that's me thinking. Yeah, I've been teaching there is no pre-tribulation rapture for at least ten or fifteen years. Yeah, I, <laughs> because I just I just can't see how we should get out because yeah. we're as almost as wicked as the most wicked people on earth. All right. The only thing we got going for us is that we actually have a relationship with Yah. Yeah. Well, how are we to be salt and light if we aren't there? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, What's the point then? Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I well, I, let me yep. say it this way, guys. And I, I basically agree with you. I certainly am, am on the same score. I think you can look at Matthew 24 and you can read what Yeshua says and where he says, you know, two, um, two men will be out in the fields, one taking the other left, two women grinding at the mill, one taking the other left, just like Moses. Yep. I mean, sorry, just like Noah. Well, did you want to be taken or did you want to be left behind? Noah was left behind. The bad guys were taken. So that, that to me is one proof text. But I guess the reason why I asked the question, I didn't mean to, uh, to go exactly there because I, I think we're all on the same page. <laughs> the, the pre, my, my little brother calls it the crapture for that reason because ultimately we've been fed so much <laughs> stuff about it. You know, you get your get out of hell free card and you don't have to go through anything that's really nasty and, you know, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz while you're at it? But um, the reason why I, uh, I say it somewhat tongue-in-cheek is the day of the Lord, and that's what we're talking about here. That's what's actually referenced. This is a whole different deal. And um, it actually, I, I guess, when I look at the time frame, and, and this is where I would say uh, your mileage may vary, I don't have a super strong opinion because unlike the rapture, which is easy to, to debunk, uh, the pre-trib rapture in particular, and say that uh, that ain't going to happen for a whole lot of reasons, and Scripture is real clear on it, I believe. But um, when it comes to this yeah. day of the Lord, the question is, is when is it? And it certainly looks to me like this is a point in time that, uh, to my mind anyway, precedes the point at which he says, I'm going to just sand it all down. And anybody that's on on earth here, that flesh isn't going to survive. It's going to be some kind of nasty. And um, my um, my hope and my prayer and my understanding is that uh, we will be hidden somewhere else during this interval. But I'm still not sure that that means we yeah. know exactly when this takes place. And that was kind of where I was wanting to head. Oh, exactly. I, I, I think that what we're talking about is that the rapture will happen in the early in in what we see as the early chapters of the Book of Revelation. Okay. What? <laughs> right, but, but, but again, not the right? rapture. I'm sure, I should say in the last few chapters of the Book of Revelation. Oh, okay. Get, there will be a rapture of the church. Hello. Okay, and that's to get us into heaven before Yah destroys this earth and creates a new one. Okay. For us. And that, is that what you're saying is the day, the great and terrible day of Yahuwah? Is that what you're talking about there, MP? Yes. That's That's what I was really asking. That's what I think. I yeah. think it's wrong, but that's what I think. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I think we're saying the same thing, MP, that, that, uh, you know, uh, when you, you go back to Matthew 24, and I probably ought to turn there so I get it right, but the, that my recollection is, is that he says, he says that, that he's talking about all these things and he just basically says, and all of these are just, just the prelude to this. This is just the exactly. days of tribulation and all that. There'll be great tribulation and blah, 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 blah. But truly the day of the Lord, the thing that, that we, we practice, if you will, each year at Yom Kippur is, is there, there is a day that, that is set aside for quiet and for this is, this is the day of reckoning. This is when the books open. This is when we look and see what's what. And, and all of that. And, and I think that happens, that, that, that happens at the end. After, after all the nastiness and tribulation and all of that, then it's okay. Then, then, then we see the Lord on the, on the white horse ride down and, and yep. clean the place up. Yep. That's what I see. And then I see immediately following that, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Then I see, then the, the millennial kingdom is reestablished at that point in time. Now, I'm not talking about New Jerusalem. That's another conundrum for another show, but. Okay. That's my thinking. Okay. So, so can we start uh, talking about, uh, Yeshayahu chapter 13 here? Here we go. I'm going to talk about six through eight right here. Go for it. Okay. Here we go. Uh, and as usual, I'm going to start with Azamra's commentary, and then I'll use it as a, as a springboard. Um, verses 6 through 8 depict the terrible fear that will fall on the inhabitants of Babylon. Howl for the day of Hashem is at hand. It will come like destruction, Shod, from yes. the Almighty, Shaddai. Get it? Destruction, Shod, from the Almighty, El Shaddai, verse 6. This divine name, which should be pronounced Shakai, okay, not Shaddai, hmm. but Shakai. I don't know. I, I, I don't see a, a K there anywhere. But anyway, except in prayer and then and when chanting the Hebrew Bible text, okay, reveals the power of the Sephirah of Yesod, which channels Elohim, godly power, into the earth. The power on of uh, the play on words in the Hebrew text indicates that the attribute of Yesod, expressed by Shaddai, includes the vengeful power and destruction showed in retribution for wickedness. Okay? The the words play all throughout here, okay, in the Hebrew. And it's not something that we generally see in in the KJV, you know. So, anyway, now why did I tell you? What did I tell you? Yah is go, doing all the fighting here. He is talking, in verse 6, to every battle-hardened Assyrian warrior, which is what they have already been before. Warriors, always been before. There were no proven cowards among them. Heroes, yes. Cowards, no. At least, mm-hmm. not until this day. Yah will put the fear of himself and through himself, Israel, into the Assyrians. I can almost hear the blubbering from every Assyrian warrior on this battlefield where every Assyrian kills his brother. I mean, how do you fight your actual creator? 
Yah can take you out without even taking a deep breath. And the Assyrian men in the trenches are getting the point served to them on a silver platter. The Assyrians are doomed, and they know it. And if the individual soldier chooses to drop his weapon, his own platoon sergeant or company commander will remove his head from his shoulders in an attempt to keep the fear from spreading to everyone else. And the fear of that will make the battle-hardened warrior to turn on his company commander, commander or his sergeant. Just imagine the tumult in every Assyrian head on that field of battle. The word that's translated amazed in verse 8 is the Hebrew 8539 Tama, Tet, Mem, He. Uh, astonished. That's what the EDBH has to uh, astound, uh, has to astound being confused or hazy. In other words, they have no idea what's actually going on. They have never been in this state of mind before. KJV's verse 8 says, They shall be amazed one at another, their faces flames. Sounds as if they're feverish and possibly hallucinating as a result. Has That's anyone it. else been in that mindset that you can't even trust what your eyes are telling you? I have not. But I have been comatose and cannot remember anything from that time. My lovely bride says that I was yammering about stuff that I could see, but no one else could. I have no reason to doubt her. I may have been seeing a world like what the Assyrians were seeing in this particular chapter. Take my advice. Do not cut down a tree in the middle of a dense forest. What I, that's what I did, and that's why I was in the hospital, and, she, and I was out cold, and she was there. Anyway, as far as amazed goes, I am amazed that I got to tell about it and give Yah the glory for my life that he could have taken consciously into his presence, but didn't. Okay? He could have taken me home, but he didn't. I have something to do for him here. And maybe it's what I'm doing right now, being on yeah. TTRT. Amen. What do uh, I know? Mark, uh, my, uh, I'm looking at, uh, for my English Bible, I'm looking at the uh, English Standard Version, which is my my preferred English Bible. And and here they in verse eight it says they will be dismayed, not amazed. Yeah. Uh and and that's uh Bahal in the Hebrew to be terrified, alarmed, dismayed, bewildered, you know, uh, yeah. and, and and all of that. And the the one thing that uh where was a faces of flame. I, I that that image, yes. I, 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 I just am trying to get a, a, a visual. And again, I'm looking at the Hebrew, uh, laha, flame by fire, uh, flash. It also says the blade of a sword. In other words, uh, something bright that does that. I'm wondering, is that, is that um, when a person flushes or blushes, you know, and all that. Is this the people then at that point in time that they realize facing all this? Oh, my gosh. I have been on the wrong side of this thing all the way along. And they have that that <laughs> the brown toga moment of realizing that they are just on the wrong side of the fence. 
and that all their, <laughs> they realize all their sin in one moment and they are, and that a flame could be ashamed. And I'm, that's my translation. I'm making that up. They're, they will show shame on their faces. So maybe that's, I don't know. That's one of the kind of images I get that, that it's like, oh my gosh. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Lahav is the root word. Okay. And it means literally, um, I lost it. Oh, here it is. Flame. Their faces are going to burn is what it says. Yeah. Yeah. Um, flaming, intense flame, metal point of a weapon. That's interesting. Those well, are three, the three, uh, primary translations of this particular thing in the Hebrew scriptures. Hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, literally is, is flame. Okay, so their faces are going to literally burn. That's what he's, that's what he's talking about there, I think. Yeah. Could, could very well be right. I, yeah, it's it just, it's an amazing, uh, kind of sometimes you have to close your eyes and just visualize. Yeah, I, I think it'll be spontaneous combustion too. I mean, just, if something's gonna be so hot, it's gonna set them on fire. Well, yeah. Okay, that's what I think through verse 8. Okay. Are we ready to read on? Uh, yeah, we've got a break coming up in about a minute. Yeah, we can read just a couple more verses anyway. <clears throat> We're going to get more about the day of the Lord. Behold, the day of Yahuwah comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. See, I read through about verse 10, didn't I? And he will destroy the sinners from it. So uh, let's continue and read them. Um, through um, the the next section is a little bit longer. I will punish the world, he says, for its evil, and the wicked for their torallessness, for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. This sounds like a bad day for the Fauci's and the uh, satanic hosts of the world. <laughs> I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. And when we get back, um, I don't think I'll have time to mention it before then, but that one struck me as I was reading it. You'll see it in different versions translated different ways. Uh, some of them say, I'll make a man more rare than fine gold. But, um, there's an interesting element to that. So worth the break. Check it out. Don't take me soon, because I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday it'll all turn around because all my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to say that we don't want to fight no more.
All right, we are back, folks. Final segment for today of the Torah Teachers Roundtable. And we're talking about Chapter 13. I have a suspicion we're going to probably uh, not finish that chapter today because there's a lot in here. And in particular, um, the uh, the section we're dealing with has to do with the, the Day of the Lord, or the Day of yod heh vav As I mentioned, it's in here a lot. And um, I, didn't, uh, I didn't talk about this, but when I say the great and terrible, it's usually because that's the way Joel describes it in Chapter 2. It appears a couple different times. And uh, I like that terminology because it certainly seems to describe, in English at least, what um, the other prophets are going to some detail to say. This is uh, this is pretty gnarly. And um, then we get to verse 12 and 13, and, and this is where we went into the break. Um, let me let me set it up with 11 as I was reading right when the music came up. I will punish the world, he says, for its evil, and the wicked for their Torahlessness, their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud, lay low the haughtiness of the terrible, and I will make, he says, a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. And what struck me about that is uh, there is a um, there's a word in there that we don't see used very often at all, and it's it's rendered in English as a mortal, although some other renderings say a man. But wait a minute, you know the the word we're used to seeing for man is ish. Uh, Adam is the other one that's usually used for man. Kind or Adam kind, and um, and this is none of the above. The word here in verse uh, twelve of Isaiah thirteen is the word uh, Enosh, which uh, certainly sounds a little bit familiar as well. And and it's kind of fascinating because the only time that it is used in the entire Torah is in Deuteronomy thirty-two, right close to the very end of the book, where he talks about I'm going to scatter them into the corners. I will make the remembrance of them to cease from among men, and. Um, I think the idea of rendering that as mortal men or mortals is is probably a, um, or at least it resonates with me, because it's mortals that are going to be um, rare at this point. In other words, there may be others who are not in their mortal bodies anymore, but when it comes to the mortals, uh, they're going to have a tough day, a really, a really tough day. Um, Prized, and that's basically the the verb that's used here as well. That he is going to make this this root word yakar uh, to make something very precious, very rare. Mortals will in fact uh, be very rare. And uh, with that, uh, let's see. Let's go to MP. And let him comment on it. All right, I'll cover nine through thirteen here. Azamra on nine through thirteen. They do it in four paragraphs, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to explore them one by one. Verse 9 and following depicts Elohim's anger against Babylon and the terrible punishment destined to come upon them. And in verse 10 it says, All the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not radiate their light. Okay? (laughs) Radak explains that the uh, prophets speak figuratively and talk of a person struck by some trouble as having in darkness, as sitting in darkness, rather, so that the sun and the stars do not shine upon him. The vengeance against Babylon was primarily on account of its overweening arrogance, according to and in verse 11. So, do you see that the first three verses here, 9 through 11, the day of Yah is the day of judgment for the earth. I truly think that this describes what happens in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, where I'm, and I'm going to read that. And I saw an angel coming come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Hasatan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. 
and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be filled. Okay. Okay. So he's going to let them out for a little bit so he can confound them some more. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them, and the souls of men of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yeshua and for the word of Elohim, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Mashiach a thousand years. <clears throat> but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of Elohim and of Mashiach, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now I think that this is possible. Uh, I'm sorry, I think it's possible that we have recently entered and or are about to enter those days. 2 October, I'm sorry, 7 October 23 may have been the start of what the lamestream church calls the tribulation time. The perps of 7 October are the heroes of a whole lot of people worldwide because they those people hate Yah and anyone who has chosen whom he has chosen to be his. Believing Christians and believing Jews, along with a smattering of his own in the other religions of the earth. And by the way, there is no pre-tribulation rapture of the church. So put that out of your mind. No one will be more surprised than me if I am wrong. Azamra has this comment on verse 12. <clears throat> but I shall make a man more honored than finest gold. That's verse 12. Rashi explains that this verse alludes to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar, of his, uh, to his feast in order to explain the meaning of the writing on the wall, and whose Holy Spirit was revealed to all when he was that. When he said that, it signified the fall of Babylon, which took place that very night. That was in Daniel chapter 5, in verse 12. Now, <clears throat> in reality, and in Yah's eyes, a single human is more precious than all the gold, diamonds, and other stuff that glitters in the universe. And we should do the same, although I am beginning to question the worth of the, both Sloppy Joe and, uh, Sleepy Joe, rather, and Camelot. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if they both met their creator, our Mashiach, today? Anyway, I don't know. I, I know that a lot of Christians would not even consider their confessions of faith real. That they would play that card to garner some insurance votes, okay, and maybe defeat the Trumpster. But Azamra, on verse 13, says this. Therefore I shall shake the heavens and the earth shall quake and move from her place. That's verse 13. This verse reveals that Elohim shakes the heavens before the earth shakes. From here, we learn that Elohim does not exact retribution from the nation without first exacting retribution from its guardian angel in the higher world. That's according to Rashi. The same idea also comes out from the verse in the following chapter. How are you fallen out of the heaven, O bright star, son of the morning? Isaiah 4.12. Yeah. 
The star of the heaven is Noga, that is Venus, Babylon's guardian angel. Okay? Babylon's guardian angel is Venus. Okay? And that, that it, it fascinates me that this stuff is all in here, and we have a hard time dragging it all out because we haven't learned the way that we're supposed to. Anyway, that's what I got through verse 13. And uh, I'll let you guys go ahead and yammer for a while. Go ahead, Ray. Ah, ba 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 ba. Where was it? Um, we were started in verse nine. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, bear with me just one moment. Surely. Uh, oh, you can't have dead air. Sorry. <laughs> Shall I whistle while I'm doing this? Uh, <laughs> Make the people, you're, you're said um, in verse 12. Oh, Ophir. Ophir, of course, the, the golden wedge of Ophir, right? That was a, a yes. somewhat mythological, gigantic chunk of gold that was Solomon's. Um, exactly. Yeah, that... that, that uh, and, and oh, I know it was the word that's translated in the ESV. It, it says ESV. I will make people more rare than fine gold, and mankind than the gold of Ophir. And rare, you used um, you used a different word. Uh, here it, it says uh, I'm looking at yakar as the root. Let's see what is that? Thirty-seven hundred to be precious, to be costly, to become well known. To make scarce that, that to become well known that that would struck me as another shade of meaning. I will I will make people uh I I will I will make them well well known. In other words, I will they're all going to know this and that and that uh, that mankind will be become more scarce than this this mythological uh, 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 hunk of gold, you know, the, right. yeah. the, the legendary, it's the word, that, word I'm looking for, legendary thing. Uh, and, and, and in verse 13, I am with you. This notion of the, the Lord always publishes what he's going to do. Uh, we, it, it's always spoken first, and then it happens. And usually, if, if there's a judgment coming, the judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And then it moves out. Absolutely. And, and I think that this is exactly right. And as uh, uh, Mark Mark is very fond of the end of Deuteronomy, that that as he finishes the the great uh, uh, song of Moses in, in Deuteronomy, where he basically summarizes much of this as well. We can find much of of what is uh, sung about in the song of Moses in thirty two uh, is being talked about here. But he, there he says that he, he brings heaven and earth together as witnesses. Yep. Okay. They, they, as long as heaven and earth are there, they will witness against you. And again, here we are with the heavens tremble and the earth is shaken out. Here, those two witnesses are being, uh, are, are giving their testimony first. So that's, that's, that's what I've got, got at this point. Cool. Okay. <laughs> so, do we, we want to continue, or are we ready to pause and, and read on? 
Uh, I, I'd say let's let's read on. I think MP wants to make some comments on some upcoming verses. I think okay. we've got enough time here. We've got yeah, we've got about ten minutes, and let me see where we paused here. Um, Fourteen. Let's go through, through verse eighteen. Yeah. So therefore, I will shake Hashemayim the heavens. And the earth will move out of her place. Now, that certainly sounds like something that we see lots of stuff in the, uh, at least the alternative press and news about, whether it's a pole shift, uh, a magnetic pole shift, or another kind of pole shift. Uh, yeah, uh, that at least is one way to look at it. Uh, in the wrath of Yahuwah Zevuot, and in the day of his fierce anger. <clears throat> Excuse me. It shall be as the hunted gazelle and as a sheep that no man takes up. Every man will turn to his own people and everyone will flee to his own land. Everyone who is found will be thrust through. That doesn't sound so uh, so wonderful. And everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished, raped, taken as plunder in war. Um, let's pause there. And um, was it you want to go next, MP? Uh, yeah, and you covered pretty much what I needed to go. Well, I, I read eighteen too. Okay, because I'm going to touch on that. Um, so behold, I will stir up the Medes against them who will not regard silver or money, and uh, that may be another way to render. It's actually Kasef in the Hebrew, of course, but uh, sometimes they translate it as silver. I think it's probably the uh, fake stuff, money that now is uh, not really even money anymore, but uh, who knows. Anyway, the word is Kasef. And as for gold, they'll not delight in it. Also, their, um, the, their bows will dash the young men to pieces, and they will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eye will not spare children. Uh, that sounds like uh, what we're already seeing with the Fauci's of the world. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so these verses seem to explain about the chased roe. That is, they're chasing this deer. Okay, the uh, the word translated as chased is the Hebrew word nadach, uh, and it it means to push off or to remove completely. The idea being that this roe is prey. That it is a chased roe, not a chased row chased row not a chased row yes okay? which i which i think her buck will have something to say about i'm just saying the the chased row the one that people are chasing is one that is trying to escape the hunter whether human or carnivorous animal now the it that we're seeing here is quite possibly the entire creation which is being pursued again i think by hasatanas as his prey this prey, this chaste roe, is quite probably the creation that we spoke of in our last segment in verses 9 through 13. I think that Yah would rather that they accept his conditions for their acceptance into his kingdom, which is neither egregiously nasty nor difficult to accept. Follow Yah and his commandments, which are anything but grievous. However, I can see how making a change of worship from what or whom one is familiar to one who is not could be difficult. Okay, when we may be uh, worshiping something that is not Yah, is what, where I'm coming from there. The ones who in verse 14 were chased and are found in verse 15 are seemingly 
summarily executed as the invaders that they are, along with any hangers-on. KJV says joined to with him. Okay, those joined to him. The uh, the word translated as joined is um, safa, which means to heap, combine for a negative purpose. The hangers-on are trusting in numbers that are not sufficient for their survival especially after Yah has whittled the numbers down to a manageable level. Remember, please, that these who are chasing the whittled-down numbers are the initial defenders of the land, and their prey is the invading force. Yah is on the present chasers-down forces' side, okay? The guys that are chasing them down, that's the guy that Yah is taking care of here. There are going to be a lot of empty beds in Babylon, both warriors and their families' beds, especially after the action in verse 16 is completed. Babylon's warriors' homes and families ransacked and killed. Verse 17 has Yah getting the Medes involved. The Medes are invading Babylon to kill as many as they can. They aren't even after the Do-Re-Mi, just the lives of as many as they can take. And in verse 18... Babylon is wiping out as many Midan people as they can, from the aged to the newborn. And that is pretty much what I got through verse 18. All right. We Ray, got about, we got about five, five minutes. minutes left. Um, just, just a, I guess, a couple of thoughts. In 14, we talk about uh, the, the doe that is being pursued or hunted uh, and the sheep who have uh, people to gather, talking about two different types of people. There, there are some who will, who will run, who will try to flee, something like this. Uh, it, it says later in the verse, there's kind of a, a, a thing that says, each will turn to his own people, each will flee to his own land. In other words, when this happens, folks are going to seek what they know, uh, seek their, their own kind seek their uh, their original langu- uh, land and all that sheep uh, sheep uh, uh, speak to the notion of animals who don't do anything without somebody telling them what to do right uh, sheep are not sheep are great animals but they're not the brightest ones <laughs> uh, and, and you know I mean the gazelle the gazelle can get out there and and forage and, and the, the the buck or the the deer or whatever they, they do okay by themselves. And all that sheep really need to be herded. Uh, they they don't necessarily take care of themselves real well. And it's saying for both of these classes of people, those that are sheeple and those that are that are uh, adroit at, at fleeing and taking uh, taking the situation into their own hands, kind of people, there, there's not there's not going to be a way out for either of them. And and that's testified to in in uh, uh, fifteen of whoever is found will be thrust through, whoever is caught will fall by the sword. So those that are found are the sheep that are all huddling in a group together, hiding. Those who are caught, the ones that are fleeing, will, will fall. In other words, there's there are uh, there are, as I see, and you are reading in Revelation, as I see, there are three destinies. There are those that are... Uh, uh, those that go into captivity are taken captive. There are those that who will live by the sword, will die by the sword. And then the, there are those that will flee and overcome. 
And so we kind of have to figure out which which of those groups are we in. Uh, uh, and I think, I guess, in, in many of our mindsets, our, our minds <laughs> go back and forth. I'm certainly there's part of me that says, uh, by golly, you know, you come on my property and, and, and you're going to meet uh, my friend Smith and Wesson. But, um, you know, the, the, the statement of if, if that's the way you're going to live, that's probably the way you're going to die. It doesn't say that that's good or bad. And I, I'm certain my father was a career Marine and he lived, he, he lived and, and died that way. But, you know, I mean, that, that was his life. That was his, his mode and, and all of that. But, uh, and then the, 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 there are those that go into captivity. I, I'm looking, uh, perhaps the, those that, uh, that live by the sword, die by the sword. Those are the gazelles. Those that, are destined to captivity, into captivity, or they go, maybe those are the sheep. And then there's this third class of folks that, um, you know, uh, that they're, they're going to flee, I think, into the camps of the righteous. And, and, you know, it says, blessed are those who, who overcome, who, who make it to the very end. So, uh, anyway, th- that's, that's some, some thoughts there. Okay, MP, well, less than a minute left. One, Anything one you want to add one. before we uh, take into the break and then wait for next week? Uh, just one last thought. The Medes. Of course, we're talking about the Babylonians to begin with. The Medes are a different group of people. They're the folks that are like the Assyrians up in the area of Nineveh and all that. This is a particularly nasty group of people. Um, the, this, like the Assyrians, these are folks that don't uh, war for territory uh, uh, and, and, and goods, uh, gold and silver and booty and stocks and, or, uh, 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 livestock and those sorts of things. They just do it because they, for the sheer bloodlust of it. Take it back to the, to what happened on, uh, in early October, uh, and what came out of Gaza into Israel. They weren't interested in taking plunder or any, this, that, or the other thing. They were simply interested in, in the bloodlust of it, in killing as many Jews as they could kill. I think that's the, the spirit that's in these people. That's exactly what happened on October 7th and has been happening ever since. I can't believe that there are riots in the United States of America because uh, over Israel doing what they have to do to defend themselves. It just makes me crazy. Amen. Yeah, amen. Hey, I, I just want to quickly say before we go, Hag Sameas Hanukkah for all you out there. Have a yeah. continue to enjoy the Hanukkah celebration. Right. And thanks, guys. Shalom, folks.